This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter 20, going through the Ten Commandments. And we've reached the the commandment, in my opinion, that has the most symbolism involved in it. Symbolically, it is used throughout Scripture as a picture of people, humans, believers, really, chasing after gods, going after false religion. And you go, what are you talking about? The commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is a very interesting commandment just on, on its face. And let me explain, because it has two it has two interpretations as far as gender is concerned, as far as the sexes are concerned. Usually, almost predominantly, in fact, in the Old Testament, almost exclusively, it is used to describe a man who is married sleeping with another man's wife. And that is an interesting take on that because what it what it brings to your mind, what it makes you understand is God in the relationship of husband and wife, God takes on the role as the husband and believers or the church take on the role as the wife or the bride. In fact, we're called the bride of Christ. And in fact, Jesus uses that understanding. Jesus uses that illustration over and over again in his parables in the New Testament. And so... <clears throat> In this context, I find it really interesting. Obviously, we know not murdering, not slaying, taking someone else's life, not committing adultery, not stealing, not bearing false witness. Those are the four things, the four commandments that God gives us that are purely about our relationship with other people and the destructiveness of those practices that cause destruction of relationship, that cause destruction of people's lives. It hurts, it destroys, it causes bitterness. I'm not, today, I'm not talking about that, even though it's obvious that's what it is. In the context of adultery, especially when we see it as such a symbol of worshiping other gods, especially as we see it as a picture of our relationship with God, this is perhaps one of the most powerful of the four commandments that deal with interpersonal relationships, that deal with our relationships with other people that are around us, because murder is does deal with hatred, but remember, hatred's on the inside. Theft does deal with them, other people, and it is wrong. It's wrong to steal, but it, its symbology is more tied to Satan and him being a thief and a liar. But And then bearing false witness is very important as far as our own life and our own ability to understand and to take on the truth. But adultery is a picture of, of our relationship with God. And so even though it has great significance as far as our relationships with our spouses, it has even greater significance as far as our relationship with God. And in the context of adultery in the Old Testament, when it's talking about a man, it's talking about a man 
taking another man's wife. And that is a picture that God does not do that. God is not a God who, who chooses someone else, someone who is not his, who's not come to him, who's not one of his. He is true to, true to his people. He's true to those who trust in him. He does not wander away towards sin. And then, and then in, the, in the context of a woman, it's usually a young woman who has chased after, chased after another husband or another man. And that is quintessentially the picture of believers who have known God, who have a relationship with God, and then who chase after other gods, to, who make other gods before our God. And that is a powerful picture in the New Testament, the two books that really deal with this in very powerful ways is Jeremiah and, of course, Hosea. Jeremiah 3.6 says, The Lord also said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She's gone up on every high mountain, and these are the high places where they used to worship the Canaanite and the pagan gods. That's why they're called high places in the Bible. They go up on the mountain and they worship other gods, and they don't worship the God who's come down from the mountain and lived with them. They go up on every high mountain and under every green tree where they play the harlot. He says, and I said after she had done all these things, return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And th this is an understanding that God is talking about Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, and how they have chased after other gods and he uses the he uses the illustration of adultery. He uses the illustration of going after someone else rather than God Himself. And what a powerful picture that is. And Jeremiah spends chapter after chapter of lamenting Judah seeking after Israel, seeking after the gods that Judah has already chased after and has destroyed Judah. Judah's gone, and now he's saying Israel's doing the same thing. They're going after they're going after gods that are not their god, and they're chasing after things that are of the world, and it's destroying them. It's totally destroying them, and God laments those things. And in fact, he raises up a prophet, Hosea, and it, Hosea, he tells to marry a woman who has that tendency. It says in Hosea 3.1, then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love their raisin cakes of the pagans. Notice he, he, he even has a prophet marry a woman who practices adultery with other, other men as a picture of Israel chasing after, they're chasing after pagan gods, they're chasing after gods that are not him. And the whole story of Hosea is God's continual love even though his people have, have committed adultery. They've chased after other gods. They, they've given their love to another. And wow, it is a powerful, it's a powerful story. If you've never read the book of Hosea, you will see it really lays bare the heart of God for his people. And God's desire to be intimate with us, to be close with us, for us to chase after our, our God, and for us to have all that is the best from him. And that's what Hosea does. Hosea provides all the best for his wife, and she continues to chase after other gods until her life is used up and her life is destroyed. And finally, she comes back She comes back to Hosea, but she's wasted some of the best years of her life. And isn't that such a powerful picture of our relationship with God? Oftentimes, we, we chase after things that are not his will or his way for us. We chase after our own desires. We make for ourselves our own gods. We chase after things that are not 
are clearly not according to his will. And then when we chase after those things and we invest so much of our lives, so much of our passion, so much of our intellect, so much of our time. And by the way, our time is the primary fungible asset that God gives us. It's the one asset that we can trade. And once we trade it, it's gone. We did it. We can't ever get it back. It's Clearly, we can do whatever we want to, especially in America. We can do whatever we want to with our own time. And But once we sell it, once we sell that time to whatever we sell it to, it's gone. It never comes back. You can't go back and buy more time. We've even made movies about buying time. We can't do it. We have the time that we have. God says, I've numbered your days past which you cannot go. He's given us those days, and we trade those days for certain things. And oftentimes, we trade the, th- the our days for things that are God's to us but are not our God. And when we do that, we waste our lives, we waste our days. We play, as the Old Testament would say, we play the harlot. We play the whole, we do things that shouldn't be done. And this picture of the intimacy of a relationship, uh, a marriage relationship, and then going outside of that relationship, and it's destructiveness for the person who's doing it, it's destructiveness for the lives that are affected by it, is powerful. It is, it is, it's unbelievably powerful, and it can't be overstated. It can't be overstated about how that destroys and tears apart. And then God taking that picture, God taking that understanding, and giving us a true picture of what it's like to uh, to not have an intimate relationship with him because we've gone off to have intimacy with others, and therefore we've forsaken the intimacy we would have with God is, is powerful. It's powerful. In fact, Jesus talks about it at Sermon on the Mount, and he uses that uh, that understanding that the reason this is going on is because it, it's a hard issue. He said, you've heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I think that is perhaps the most succinct verse, two verses in scripture that deal with Old Testament law and explains how the Old Testament law is really most of all an unveiling of the character of God and the unveiling of the character of man. And how man, man's heart is always turning toward evil. Man's heart's always turning toward what is not of God. God's heart is to be true to us. God's heart is to be the very best for us. He gives us the best he has. He gives us his only begotten son. And because of that, we, we, we oftentimes take it for granted. And we do that because our hearts turn toward our own evil desires. The heart of man is replete with wickedness. It is full of wickedness. And the reason it is because of our sin nature. And God wants to change our hearts. He wants to give us a circumcised heart. He wants to give us a heart that loves him and a heart that loves his will and his way. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's the physical act. But he's saying that physical act is bad. It's sin. Sure it is. It's an activity that's outside of God's will. But it's deeper than just the activity of sin. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman with adultery has with lustfully has already committed adultery with her. What he's saying is if you your heart desires it, you've already done it because it's not what you put in your body. It's not what you do with your body. It's what comes out of your heart that matters. And Jesus explained that in depth also. It is what it is what comes out of our heart that makes the biggest difference. And that's what you shall not commit adultery is all about. It's about our hearts chasing after the things of God or the things of our own flesh. 
And, uh, and, and the truth is, that is the Christian battle. That's the Christian war. It's the war. It's not the war of the, against the culture. It's not the war against, uh, it's not the war against our past. It's not the war against our sin and our shame. Uh, the real war is a war over our soul. And our sinful flesh lusts after the world, desires to chase after other gods, desires to make things in, in <clears throat> that are created gods for ourselves. And our spirit, our new human spirit that's perfect, pulls us toward God and our soul, our passions and our intellect, our mind and our heart. Our mind and our heart are in the middle of the battle. And our mind and our hearts, our souls have to choose. And that's what salvation is about, that journey, that being saved our mind and our heart choosing God. And so I, when I read, you shall not commit adultery, boy, I think about all those things. I think about all the things that cause our hearts and our minds to chase after other things, to place emphasis on things that really don't matter, to, to invest our time and our life in things that are hopeless and meaningless. And oftentimes in the end, it leaves us empty and it leaves us desolate, just like Hosea's wife. She's empty and desolate, and finally she figures out, you know what? There's only one who's ever loved me, and that's Hosea, and she goes back to him. I, I love that that God tells Hosea that he's gonna, he, she's committed adultery just like the love the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods, and they love the raisin cakes of the pagans. They love the good things of the world, and they don't love God. But finally she figures it out, and she comes back to him. And the truth is that is the ultimate result of salvation. Finally, we figure it out. And I would say to you, what, what you say, how do I how do I get away from chasing after other gods? The only way to do it is to get close into that relationship with with God. I, I think of the story. I tell it all the time. I think it's I think it's a very important story. Back in the day when trucks had bench seats, you'd had bench all the way across the seat. An old man and old woman riding down the road, sitting on both sides of the truck. And they see a young couple come riding down opposite, and uh, and the young the girl is sitting right up under right up under her boyfriend or husband, and uh, they're right next to each other, and he's got his arm around her, and they're driving down the road with big smiles on their face, and uh, and the wife says, "Remember when we used to do that?" And the husband says, "I've never moved." And the truth is, that is the truth. The husband who is God in that story says to us all the time, I've not left. I've not turned my back on you. I've not moved. You're the one who left me. And really, that's ultimately what the understanding of adultery is, that we leave the God we love and uh, and we chase after we chase after other gods, gods we create in our own lives and our own hearts. Think of that old hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for there, thy throne above. What does that mean? That means that I am and we are all prone to chase after other gods. We're prone to to leave the God we love. And, and as we do that, we experience the pain of this world and we experience real loss, true loss. And, and as we experience that true loss, we powerfully, we powerfully feel the urging of the Holy Spirit to bring us back. And when we do, he, he takes our heart, our soul, and he seals it for his throne above, even though we struggle so much to give him our full heart ourselves. And what a God we serve that does that for us. I will not be doing a Bible study in the morning. I've got to go to Birmingham real early to meet with a, a child at a, a foster home. I will not be here in the morning. That being said, we'll be back next week. 
and we'll be dealing with the final commandments. I think we'll have an outstanding time next week. I hope you'll be in church Sunday. I hope you'll be in Bible study tonight. I hope if you're studying this and you're listening to this long after I've made this video, made this recording, I pray that you'll chase after God and that even though your heart is prone to leave him, all of our hearts are. He's never moved. He's always there. All we got to do is slide over on that bench and slide up close to God, and he will be near to us forever. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.